I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is my second TIFF interview. The Toronto International Film Festival is going to be starting very soon. And my conversation today is with Violetta Ayala and her new film, uh, TIFF World Premiere, Cocaine Prison. And I know that uh, people are very interested already. I've, I've read and I've heard uh, people are anxiously uh, anticipating this film. It's um, uh, from, from inside one of Bolivia's most infamous prisons comes the story of the foot soldiers of the drug trade. You, you need to check out the trailer. And Violetta, we, we had such a wonderful time together, and, and I hope she feels the same. We talked about, again, uh, we talked a little bit about everything. We talked about cocaine, we talked about prison, we talked about Bolivia and the, the indigenous uh, uh, angle to, to that country and how important it is to, to this story. We talk about uh, development and, and, and about love and about family and about the war on drugs and, and what that actually means and, and the, how, how much a par, uh, the coca leaf is a part of of, uh, a Bolivian culture and 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 what it means uh, to them, and so uh, you know, we oh well, how could we we not uh, have a conversation uh, about colonialism and 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 the impacts of that in uh, Latin America and 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 about democracy and what that actually means, small D and capital D. Violetta has a lot to say. She's a filmmaker. She's a storyteller. I think you're gonna you're gonna fall in love with her for sure. And the film is is a must see. Uh, Cocaine Prison. Uh, don't forget face-to-face-live.ca for more uh, interviews uh, uh, and a bunch coming up uh, uh, from TIFF and uh, davidpecklive.com for more information about my speaking, my writing, and ravel.ca as well for other podcasters that are out there uh, who are doing some great work here in Canada. Coming right up, Violetta Ayala and her new film, Cocaine Prison. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest here today to talk about her new film, Cocaine Prison. Violetta Ayala is here with us today, uh, calling in from uh, Bolivia, I believe. Violetta, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, David. Um, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to have you on the phone. Um, cocaine prison. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start talking about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, a selection at the Toronto International Film Festival, a world premiere. I understand. Um, can you can you give us can you give us a little bit of an overview of what the film is about? Okay. In 2010, I came back to Bolivia because I was a little bit tired of the portrayal of the drug, uh, the drug industry, the global drug industry in the world. I was a bit tired of the narcos and, and Pablo Escobar kind of idea. I'm not saying that that does not exist, but I wanted to give you my own experience with what I saw. Um, I am from Bolivia. I am an indigenous woman. I'm a Quechua woman from Bolivia. So I had a different perspective. So I came back in 2010 and I met a family of um, coca growers. And I went to the prison because where else people will talk to you about something like this but in prison? <laughs> so we started filming there uh, in prison and in El Chapare where the coca crop grows. And um, so that's how everything came about it. And then I found uh, Daisy and Hernan, that they're like um, a brother and a sister, um, teenagers at the time, and they both ended up in a web of, in a, how can I call it, in a crazy web of a system. Um, Hernan and Daisy wanted to have a music band. They came from El Chapare, where the uh, where their parents are coca farmers, to the city, and they were supposed to go to school, but Hernan wanted to have a music band, and Daisy too, so Hernan ended up um, taking uh, two kilos of, of cocaine to Argentina, and he was caught in the border, and ended up in prison. And Daisy wants to get her brother out of prison, and the film, that's the heart of the film, and then we gave cameras to Hernan and Mario. Hernan meets another guy called Mario that was a, I call him a cocaine worker. And he saw Hernan as a little child, as a, like, almost like a father and son relationship. So we also follow Mario and we gave them cameras. And we also teach English in the prison to gain access to film. And we film inside over three years, the whole time that Hernan was in prison. And we also followed Daisy on the outside, uh, what happened to her and the things that she had to do to get her brother out of prison. So it's a very personal, intimate story. Uh, no one dies, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it, it, it really demystifies this balance about the war on drugs. There is balance, yes, but in a different way. It's fascinating to me uh, the access that you were able to get, and so you just said that you you know you taught English lessons in order to gain access. The fact that you know at, at one point in the film we find out that this access actually caused a little bit of a problem for Hernan uh, because he was caught using one of the cameras. How how did you how did you work around that? How did you manage that? How did you convince the the uh, Hernan and Mario to actually use the cameras in the first place? It strikes me as a little bit risky. However. San Sebastian Prison is a prison like nothing I've ever seen, and I've I've actually worked in and around prisons uh, with an organization a few years ago. So I have uh, visited a few, and it 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 it, it looks a little more like a um, like a slum than a prison. Yes, but it's a prison, and it is horrible, and it 
it's uh, challenging to be there because if you think about it, like there is no silence in that place. It's overcrowded. It's a prison built for 60 people that holds 600 people today or 700 people. I don't know around that amount of people. So it is really like, um, I think that for me, it's a microcosm of Bolivia mm. inside. Like it works like the outside society, but people have no freedom. They cannot get right. out. So you, you the best and the worst. How we got access. I think that the guys were bored. I think that, <laughs> the film, the, like, of course, that, that when you, it's a film, so it's a prison. And when I say it's a prison that has the same characteristics as any other prison in the world, and it's boring. Like, things happen all the time and are the same and the same and the same. So I think uh, Hernan saw it. Hernan, like Hernan is a kid that takes life as it comes. His sister, Daisy, is a fighter. Mario, I think Mario was really fighting to get out. He just wanted to have a trial to be able to, to know how long he will end up in that prison. So I think that, that the camera brought him hope that he will be able to get out and nice. took away a little bit of boredom of, of that place. And, and they could, maybe they feel like they're in this middle of this web of, of a system. It's not only Bolivia, but it's global. Um, they are the emergency system. And maybe when they took the camera on their own hands, they felt that they could do something. Right. <laughs> like they, they could take the, maybe a little bit of their faith in their own hands. So, so in a way, actually, um, with the camera speaking a little bit of truth to power, in a way, uh, that they probably on some level knew that if one day they were going to get out, uh, or maybe not, maybe not, maybe it truly was hopeless, but, but being, I would think that being able to tell a story or your story uh, that, that might get out there to help others on some level would be fairly empowering, I would think. Yeah, I think so. It, it changed their lives, you know what I mean? And it, and it changed their faith. Because uh, Mario realized that Mario learned to read and write in prison. And he learned to read and write so he could write to uh, the journalists outside to say, this is my case, this is happening to me. He also, because he's the one who writes letters to the, to the press, to the media, to the radio stations. He also writes letters to, um, to judges. So his case will happen because it's in, interestingly enough, even today, Mario's case is not fully resolved. Hmm. Like it's still in the open. So I remember I just saw him the other day and he told me that a lawyer told him that if he wanted to have like a clean start, he will have to go back to prison for another two years in order to have his case executed. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and, 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 for the, and for those of us who, who, who have seen the film, uh, I mean, incredibly unjust on the, on the surface. I mean, is it, Violetta, this film, is, it's a political film. It's, it's a film about, about crime. It's a film about injustice. It's a film about justice. Ultimately, it's about telling our story. It's about the world's most vulnerable, um, you know, and it's about, act it's about so many things, like any great documentary film. Oh, and by the way, congratulations 
on finishing the film. It's a remar- it's a remarkable piece. It really is. I should have said that right at the outset. I I, I apologize for that. But the, you you've 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 told a story that I would think is incredibly uh, unique, and 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 the perspective is highly original from from you know from the inside out. Um, what is the movie really about for you? What is this film really about for you? Uh, you know, you talked about it's a microcosm of Bolivia. You know, it's about this family. It's about relationships and so on. There's, there's, um, yeah, it's quite, quite remarkable, quite nuanced. It's a complex, I think it's the war on drugs from our side. Hmm. I think that the war on drugs is being told and explained from the side of the North. But this, this film tells you the other side of the story. Right. So it tells you, it tells you what was for us. Like, it's, it's a conundrum. It's a little bit crazy because while growing coca leaves is legal, so you, we, every farmer in the coca region can grow up to one cattle. I don't know, it's a portion of land of coca. And that's legal. Making, taking, and transporting cocaine is not. We grow coca for our um, consumption, like traditional consumption. Like if you chew coca, it's much better than drinking a coffee, and it's uh, less harmless than drinking a coffee. So it's complicated. I feel like that. How, like my, even my own family came out of poverty because of cocaine. Um, and this is why I felt very close to tell this story. My grandfather was the head of the Communist Party in Bolivia. He is a Serbian um, Jew that escaped the war and ended up in Bolivia with his father as a little kid. And he told me that they funded through uh, cocaine money. My grandmother, um, an indigenous Bolivian, had a pharmacy. And she told me that they sold um, the acid to make cocaine, even to the National Bank. So what cocaine did at some point in Bolivia is broke, broke this, a little bit of these 500 years of difference amongst indigenous and colonizers. It gave some hope. Uh, interestingly, because <laughs> before the war on drugs, Cocaine was taken to the U.S. to fix uh, uh, for tooth pain, uh, for a lot of things. Yet, ended up today hurting the most vulnerable, even in the U.S., in Australia, in Canada. And while we speak a lot about the victims of the war on drugs as drug addicts because they are white, I'll be very honest about it, we don't look at the people that work in this business that are not white in the U.S., in Canada, or in Bolivia. So the most vulnerable are paying this price. So my idea was to tell this story from the point of view of, I'm not, not going to say they're victims, because I think that that's a, <laughs> it's a very disempowering word. There are people who are in the middle of this. Sure. And I wanted to show, I wanted to also go away of this idea of the poor indigenous Bolivia with the big aguayo who is so stupid and he's tricked. No, they're not right. tricked. They know what they mean. Coca means cocaine. Sorry, cocaine means money. And they take decisions like any other 
person and they make mistakes, so they might not make mistakes, I don't know. So I wanted to, I don't know, there is a very old African proverb that says, until the lion tells us the story of the hunt, the hero will always be the hunter. So this time I wanted to tell a story from the side of the lion, right. from my side, even on the way I'm telling the story. I didn't want to have, I fought a lot with producers and everything about not having cocaine is the third, Bolivia is the third biggest cocaine producing in the world. I didn't want to have anything written. I wanted to bring you into our world so you can understand and live with these characters, their own journey, so we can, in a way, humanize them and think that this, this, happened, this could happen to your kids in the United States or in Australia, you know? Absolutely. Well, this this uh, well, I mean, maybe not in exactly the same way, of course, but 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 absolutely right. I mean, vulnerable vulnerable people live without a doubt live everywhere, and I think I think when you say it humanizes uh, the characters in the in in the film, I think you know we're all vulnerable in some way, and I think that's for me what a great film does. It 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 shines a light back on my own life. It shines a light back on my own relationships, my family, and so on, and how I interact with others, and and hopefully, hopefully, makes us a better human being as a result of it. We ask questions in a new way, you know, that we might not have asked had we not seen this film. I love the way you're establishing shots in the film. I, I the terrain, the 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 mountains, and then and then the tree. I guess they're tree cutter ants. I, we don't want to we don't want to talk too much about the actual film, I suppose itself, but but a fascinating uh, opening sequence. Um, to me, I just read complicated, uh, nuanced, uh, difficult, um, but all connected in some way. Is that kind of what you were suggesting? Yeah. And I also wanted to show, because in Incredible, this film has a happy ending, but has, yes. a, happy, has a happy ending without a savior. Okay. Right. So we don't have <laughs> we don't have a like a savior, a white man, or a white woman, or an, an organization, or or an NGO who come and save us. So it 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 shows that this can happen within ourselves. And I don't want to tell you much of the film, but but someone like Daisy who is becoming an engineer today. And, and this happened for many reasons. One of the reasons is that in this process, I, I became like a role model for Daisy. Because, right. because I remember me always saying, if me, a dyslexic girl, um, can make films, I'm a film director, of course you all can do it. Right. And I think that that... that, that in a sense, got, got into, into the makeup of this film. And I think that um, Daisy is becoming an engineer. She's only had to do her uh, thesis now. Um, Hernan, Hernan is working, um, but the brother of Daisy is, is also studying um, in uh, some, some, some sort of engineering. So... When people watch this film in Bolivia, they're going to see that there is a way out and there is a possibility and it's on their hands. 
Well, and it's about is and, and Violetta, it's a, it's about choices, right? I mean, Daisy for me is just so. I mean, she's so affirming. She's such a strong young woman. She clearly not only believes in change and hopes for change, but she she she's confident enough to believe that she can make that change happen. And and again, we don't want to talk too much about how the story plays out and so on, but her her active participation in this, her desire to see justice play out and to 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 get her brother out of jail is is um uh, it's remarkable. It's it should it should be a challenge to us all, really. Yeah, it's a, it's a film about love too between amongst like between siblings, you know what I mean? And Daisy Daisy is a, is a street smart and Daisy's a fighter. And and I think the film does justice to show her dilemmas, her feelings, and that in the end, she's able to fight a little bit, take her destiny on her own hands. Um, life is, we, you don't know what will happen tomorrow, you know. Um, we're trying to get Daisy to Toronto, so people oh, can also good. talk to her. <laughs> I hope that uh, the visa process um, is not too hard. We, we already applied for the visa, and we're waiting. <laughs> um, an answer, I hope that she can come with us and join us in Toronto. And I think that that will open her eyes too. And I think that what I love about Daisy is that she's now 25. I met her when she was 17. <laughs> she was a little girl then. She's, she's still a young woman now, but 25. And um, that Daisy, you know, it shows us that life... The thing is that for for a very long time we had this idea that that some countries were more developed than others, and I think that now we're going back to say who is more developed: the person, the people, the society that was able to live in the Americas for four thousand years without destroying the environment, or once the colonizers arrived, and it's not even. 500 years, or it's a little bit more than 500 years, look what we have done. Right. Like, it's, it's, what is development? What was the way that of living? Like, we have survived together with the coca leaf for 14,000 14, years. We haven't, it, like, it was the white men who came and make a cane. So, it is that conundrum that we are in, and it's part of what is happening today. And I'm not saying, I don't have this, this view that indigenous people are the best people in the world and why they right. not. Right. At, at, at all. At all. Because, and the, at all. The problem with racism for me is that racism goes both ways. You know, goes in a way that you say, or you romanticize a group of people, or you think that they're better than, they're worse than you, and you're superior. And I think we people with good things and bad things. Look what's happening today in Bolivia and Evo Morales. Like he's uh, the first indigenous president, yet he is proving to be the biggest colonizer. He's taking away the land of um, of indigenous tribes in the middle of the Amazons because he thinks he's better and because uh, the Chinese want our oil and, and wood and he's destroying the Amazons actually in the border where they can and live. And everybody now is blaming the coca growers for that. But the coca growers are just just a, an excuse. And he's using the word development. And what is development, for God's sake? So <laughs> it's not like we are all humans. And I think that the moment that we realize that, we cannot um, 
no one needs saviors, you know what I mean? And we have to understand that what was development and what's the difference today. And yes, when you, when you take cocaine in Canada, like, I want you to think that you might be affecting someone in Bolivia. I'm not going to go not to take drugs or anything. But I think that it's important to know where you, sure, where these drugs are coming from. The same as you care about food and the environment. Think about also about the environment where the coca grows too. It's not. It's, it's a lot more complex than what they want us to believe. I think the powers. Well, and do you and do you think Violeta, that that it, uh, it? I mean, peop, a lot of people would probably. Uh, Watch this film, or talk, or think about uh, think about the implications of the war on drugs, and say, you know what, this is all—it's just all about money. It's just all about power. Um, is it that simple for you? I think it's a way to control. Um, it's a way of the United that the United States used to control Latin America, but today has created a bigger mess because, mm. um, as I said, has has taken a lot of people out of poverty, cocaine. So it's very complex. I said cocaine, for us, is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Mm. Yes, it is about... It's a way... It was an, another way of control. But it's also, today... I don't... I believe that until this war on drugs is over, in Latin America, we won't have a real democracy. Our democracies are so volatile as... Um, it's proven with Venezuela and Mexico and Bolivia. And because you cannot have drug trafficking if you don't have corruption. So this corruption manages everything. So you cannot have real democratic governments without being in the being how can I say entangled in all of this. Right. Right. So, like Bolivia, Evo Morales has a big powerful group that are the coca growers that doesn't matter if they don't like him, they will still support him because they think that is the only way that they can keep away from the United States. Before Evo Morales, <laughs> the DAA were here killing my people. Like I saw it from my window. I saw, I saw the U.S. arresting, hitting women, children, uh, killing men. From that were farmers growing coca, same as in Colombia. So we do have a, for us, the war on drugs is, is our problem number one. And we won't have democracy, as I say again, until we end up this war on drugs. And I think that the more that we, we make it as this, um, I think that these stories about Pablo Escobar and Narcos are interesting, but they're not real, huh? Right. That's not how majority. That's not how it works. It's a little bit that works like this, but the majority are the Daisies and their Nans and Marios, people like you and me, and the same in the United States, and the same in Canada. People who traffic drugs, people who sell drugs, are, are, are your next door neighbor, are, are, are a sixteen-year-old who made makes a bad decision, or a sixteen-year-old a black kid who needs desperately the money. Right. So and, is and that's so. Correct. 
you, ra you raise such a brilliant point about who is more developed and what is development. I think it's fa not only a fascinating question academically, but I think it makes makes um, intimate contact with reality in, in truly meaningful ways with respect to just all that is going on in the world economically and, and from an international perspective. And your comment about, you know, 4,000 years of civilization surviving and then 500 years of the colonizers who, who really, and the question has to be asked, who really is more developed? Do you think from a development perspective, it's got to be top down then? Is that, I mean, is that part of the solution, getting to the, you know, the, the, the people in power, uh, dealing with that level of corruption and, and kind of, you know, because I mean, it seems to me that is one of the, the things to take away from your film, that the majority of people in San Sebastian prison and others are essentially innocent, it seems to me. Well, maybe, maybe half of the people are, um, are innocent. However, what I think about, by the way, it's not 4,000, it's 14,000 years that we've been in the Americas. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 14, <laughs> thank you. That's right. I needed that historical lesson. Thank you. And Aboriginal people have been in Australia 80,000 years. Yeah, it's so. it really, truly is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. The coloni <laughs> us colonizers have, are, are fairly young. It, it puts everything into perspective. And I... It's something that I've been asking myself also lately. I think that the power structure has failed. I don't think that the power structure as we see it today can keep going to something good for much longer. It's not going. Look what's happening in the United States. Look what's happening in Australia, in Latin America, in Europe, in France, in the UK. It's, it's really complicated. I, don't, I think that we citizens have to go back to the streets mm. and do politics in the streets, go back to the bases, go back to organize ourselves so we can change what's happening. I think that we, good people, have to take back politics and people who represent us. Because today, who are representing us? Business. Why the war on drugs is still going today? It's because drug money has saved the United States for the, from the bank crisis that they had a few years ago. Because the economy, the underground economy, not just in Bolivia, but in all over the world, runs on drug money. So who, governments have no money today. Business, uh, multinationals, corporations, they are actually leading us. Look what happened. Donald Trump is president of the United States. Malcolm Turnbull, a, a banker, is, is the prime minister of Australia. Look at France and, and Macron is another banker. So this is wrong. At least in the past, we had some people who represent us. We need to go back to get involved in politics. We need to go back to represent the people. Because if not, this is going to get to a point of no return. I think it's scary. It's scary for everyone, you know? Because it, what it is. you like today in eight hours on a phone or like in France, work 11 months in an office so you can buy one month of freedom and you can be close to the nature and the beach. Um, like, so we always look at, at people who live the few people who still live today in the jungle in Bolivia or in the Northern Territory in Australia, and we look at them down, 
and we feel sorry for them. When it's the opposite way around, we should learn. We should actually learn from them. Mm. So we could, we could, <laughs> uh, like, look, if everybody in the world had to live how people live in Australia, we needed five planets. We, we will be dead tomorrow. So that, that's not sustainable anymore. And it's not fair for our children and our grandchildren to just say, okay, it's like this, but I'm, I'm okay. Well, no, you're not okay. And we need to go back and take politics in our hands. We need to start organizing in the universities and schools in our neighborhoods, become, become part of it. And, and <laughs> you know, it is, it is really important that we take back what belongs to us. Violetta, it sounds like that should be and perhaps is the topic of uh, your next film or one of the next films you're going to be making. <laughs> uh, I just I just showed a new film in Australia about um, about an Aboriginal um, group that were fighting um, in a way against the government and corporations, and in a way they won. So I'm quite glad. I also finished um, another film about people with disabilities that was a short film that was in The Guardian, and I can't say publicly yet, but <laughs> soon it has, um, has it's, a, it's a finalist from a very, very big prize and has won a festival in Sheffield. Oh, wow. Um, Good for you. Wow. Congratulations. It's called The, it's called the Fight. Um, I want to make a film, um, uh, the third part of the trilogy about uh, in the United States um, about two Mexicans and one rich and one poor and what happened to their fates and they have the same last name and one was the head the, the head of operations of El Chapo Guzman <laughs> so it's quite interesting and he's not in prison huh? and he lives a very nice life but he's a good guy oh yeah he's actually a good guy um, and then look I'm a storyteller and I think I've I, I done this for probably, you know, we believe that we have past lives. So I believe that in the past life, in my past life, I was always a storyteller. Mm. And I will always keep telling stories, you know. Well, you're, you're continuing on in that tradition, that's for sure. I, uh, we're we're going to have to wrap up the conversation uh, here in the, in the next couple of minutes, but you must be pretty thrilled about uh, coming to the, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Do you, do you think, uh, are, you, are you ready? Um, almost. <laughs> still, <laughs> almost. Still the final touches on the film. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I think Toronto loves Loves us, huh? It's a, uh, my first film, uh, Stolen, premiered in Toronto in 2009 in, at the nice. Toronto International Film Festival too. Uh, my second feature film, uh, The Bolivian Case, uh, premiered in 2015 at Hot Dogs. And now uh, we premiere in Cocaine Prison at Cheap, so I think that maybe <laughs> the Canadians love my work. I think <laughs> and I'm glad I think to be back. 
<laughs> I think that, well, that's excellent. And, and again, congratulations. I love the way uh, that you say that Cocaine Prison is one of the stories told from our side. Uh, we've been talking today with Violetta Ayala and, uh, about her new film, Cocaine Prison, world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, coming up uh, very soon. Uh, again, Violetta, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate your, your uh, generosity and taking time away from, from finishing the film to, to have a conversation. Now, thank you, David, and have a good day. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.